You are listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show with Dave and Kat. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art. How are you doing today, Dave? Kat, I am doing great, and you can see what I got in my hand. I see. A VAC mug, Visual Arts Center mug. Coffee mug. Florida. Coffee yes. mug. It's really done nicely. Yeah. 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 And it's a nice, what, 12-ounce size, would yep. you say? Yeah. For us, you know, coffee connoisseurs. That's right. It's really nice and thick. It's heavy. You feel that thing. Ooh, the weight. Yeah. So I like the uh, shape of it, too. Yeah. They, uh, they have them in the art supply store now for sale. Ten bucks, not bad for a not huge coffee all. mug like that. Yeah, with that wow. logo on it. So, yeah, yeah. I gotta get mine. <laughs> yeah, I I bought that. You know, we just did the Peace River Art Festival. Right. They had them there for sale, and I'm like, hey, I want one of those. <laughs> so I did that. We didn't get a chance to do any recordings at the Peace River. You, of course, mm -hmm. you had your obligations. I right. was going to, but then we had the rain move in. So that's right. The sound equipment didn't come out on Saturday. And then Sunday, it was iffy on and off. It never did rain, right? but it was iffy enough. This year, we didn't get the recording at the festival itself, but a lot of fun, a lot of, yeah. uh, I think they had 70 different artists there from all over the United States. Okay. Yeah, and Sunday was packed. Sunday, the people came in. It was, uh, it was great, and I had a lot of good festival food. Oh, yeah, I know. Aren't they, isn't that the best? Yeah. <laughs> It's the reason I'm still having salad a month later <laughs> and veggies, <laughs> but good food nonetheless. So, Kat, yep. you were busy, Yes. you had an engagement, and I was here and a wonderful lady came in. She has been doing the lectures here That's right. at the Visual Arts Center. She does uh, lectures all over the place, all over Florida and her name is Bela Miller and she was doing the latest lecture the last one of the series for this year was on the ballet uh, right. which was permanent I think Russian ballet mm -hmm. the history of it and an incredible lady and again you weren't able to make it so I sat down with her and did a show and me and you have had a chance to kind of glimpse the show but right. we're going to go back through it and uh, it's amazing story, uh, amazing lady, especially with the roots of where she came from. She is inspiring. Yes. As she likes to say, she saw the American dream come through yes. with her family as they came over after World War II, and we'll, we'll hear that. I do too. She has goosebumps. a great sense of gratitude. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. it's really a great reminder mm -hmm. for all of us, but uh, right. what a wonderful story. Wonderful story, fascinating lady. And uh, we're going to get to that when we come back. So you ready to start? I'm ready to go, Dave. Okay, then here we go. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can find all of our episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Or you can go to our newest website, pftatalkshow.org. This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in downtown Punta Gorda, Florida. Okay, we're back. Yes, we are. 
And just a little information before we go into the interview, our guest that was on this show, she is very renowned, sought after lecturer on the philosophy and history of humanities and art. And she does a great job of bringing it around to present day, as they say, moving it forward. Okay, so we are going to go into the interview here. And Kat and I will catch up with you at the end of the show. We're going to play it straight through commercial free because there's a lot of great stuff there. And we uh, want to make sure that you get as much of the interview as you can. So everyone enjoy the show and we'll catch up with you then. Bailey Miller, I want to thank you for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you. Bailey, I was introduced to you from the lectures that you do here at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda. You've done a series of them over the, the season, as we like to call it here. You just finished up, wrapped up your last one on the Russian ballet, which was just one of many topics you cover in your lecture tour, correct? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a humanities professor, Uh, And if you teach humanities, then you're teaching all of the arts and rhetoric, which people forget about. Because basically what art is, is someone's point of view. And they're trying to get you to think in the way that they think. And if you do, if you choose to, it will make your life better. And I couldn't have said that (laughs) As I have mentioned, I had a chance to set in on this last lecture of your series on the Russian ballet. Yes, the Ballet Russe. Yes, and I got to tell you, I was in there listening. We had agreed to do this show when you had finished your lecture, and I found myself so involved in what you were saying, the content of your lecture, that I completely lost all track of time and I had to excuse myself and jump up out of there in the last second and come back over here to the uh, the library or studio and uh, get set up for you. <laughs> <laughs> and as I have mentioned, I have caught quite a few of your lectures here at the VAC and I find every one of them just so enriching in information and your style, I just love it. So engaging with the audience. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it means a lot to me to bring people in to understanding how profoundly important art is in everyday life and how much more rich your life can be if you're exposed to even the beginnings of the art world, which we typically look at as the Greek world. But in general, if you have just a feel for what kind of great contribution the art world tries to make. Yes, and In your lecture, you had mentioned the essence of the contribution the art world is trying to make. What is that? The essence of the art world is that they try to create a more democratized world. That is one of the big messages of the art world. So if you begin to see how art movements interpret their time and how they try to make connections with the world in such a way that just creates opportunities for people to think more broadly and to just to appreciate, appreciate life. <laughs> you gotta love that. Beautifully said. Oh, and David, you know something? I saw a, a, a beautiful quote that said, artists make the world a better place. In my opinion, you could just stop by saying that artists make the world 
because generally speaking, the way that they shape the world for us in literature and architecture and sculpture, whatever it is that they're doing, the way that they shape the world is for us to look at the world from not only their perspective, but to look at the world in such a way that we understand that our mind is being redirected toward things that enrich us. Bela, I think everyone would agree with that statement. You know, that reminds me of one of my favorites. Without art, there would be no riches in life. Oh, right. yeah. Okay, so Bela, just touching on your education there quickly. You're, you have your master's degree and your bachelor's degree from the University of Memphis. And your post-doctorate? way I did not finish my doctorate. I did postdoctorate work, so I don't want to misrepresent myself. I did postgraduate work, I should say, 40 hours of, of uh, doctorate work, but I did not do my dissertation uh, uh, because at that time I was studying ESL, the English as a second language, and that was my teaching and background was English as a second language, but I did not do the dissertation. So I'm an ABD student, which means all but dissertation. But in any case, I just want to, you know, be forthcoming with, I, I don't have a doctorate. Okay. Well, always important to clarify. Um, art. Were you always into art? Did you grow up that way? How did you decide this is what you wanted to do? Well, I, I did my master's work in English as a second language, and I used to teach for the TOEFL exam, which is the test of English as the foreign language. Okay. And this was this is a kind of very difficult test to pass, but it's a test that shows your proficiency as a foreign student so that you can go into classes with other Americans and have the same comprehension level. That's okay. what that test is trying to achieve. So when I was teaching English as a second language, the whole world came to my classroom. And it was a wonderful exposure. And these students would bring me little gifts every time they came back one semester after another. And I would, and oftentimes there were little pieces of art. So that got me very interested in their worldview and how it's expressed through their art. Because after all, everyone expresses their worldview through their art. So that got me very interested, and I thought, well, one day when my children are grown and I have a time to focus on what I really want to do, I'm going to learn the difference between Art Nouveau and Art Deco. <laughs> so that started my journey on all of these, the investigation of the art world. I'm self-educated, but anyone can be self-educated today. I was just wanting to have that interest. But, you know, to, to feel like you are participating in culture in a way that you are making everyone else's life bigger is, is, is really, I hate to say it because it sounds like I am big-headed, but it's my gift. I'm a storyteller, and I tell the story of the great ideas in art. Is that the reason for all the large and broad subjects that you cover? Definitely. Uh, since all of the arts are intertwined, because they're trying to express a philosophical point or philosophical idea, all arts are trying at certain times in history to convey what your culture's aspirations are for you, what the mindset of the leaders are, and how they create a good citizen. So uh, what happens then in the art world is, say, the political system is in place, 
and they use the arts to tell the individual who he should be in his culture for the betterment of the culture. Therefore, the philosophy first comes through in literature because first we told stories, and when someone invented the alphabet, then we were able to create literature. And from literature, we get the art world, which shows you an illustration of what the literature and stories are saying. They show us visual pictures of what we say in words. And then those people that are gifted sculptors make a three-dimensional representation of that visual. And then architects use all of their wits and skills and math and science and physics and all those attributes to create great structures that are also interpreting the same philosophy. Okay, well, let's cover the history of art via your lectures there, Bela, because you do take all the history of art and, and again, do an exceptional job of, of bringing it around uh, applicable to present day. Because as you have mentioned, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. In the Renaissance, we know there's a big focus on religion and focus on the power of the church. So then we see certain kinds of art at that time. Then when you see with the Protestant Reformation, they're trying to uh, pull away from the church and make a different kind of mindset. So there's more interest in changes in which mankind can define his life a little bit more readily as opposed to being controlled by church and state. Rococo has its philosophy. The Enlightenment has its own grand philosophy in which the individual is important. Then when these things begin to happen and more democracies emerge in Western civilization and the individual is more important, then the individual's mind is the most important. And that's when you get abstract art. That's when you get the kind of art that is, that is distorted and the kind of art that is liberated in which you literally make paintings of people's thoughts and emotions. That's how important the individual becomes throughout history. The individual becomes so important that even his thoughts are recorded in a painting. His emotions, his impulses, this is a beautiful time to be alive. We all know the fact that it's always the best of times and the worst of times to be alive. But in regard to the individual, this is the best of times. Well, you state all that quite well. <laughs> and I can, I can only say that, that because I'm an American, I'm an American, I became an American citizen when I was 18, 19 years old. What I understand is that our Constitution permits so much, it has so much latitude. It provides so much latitude for, for bad times that can be turned into good times because the individual is still important. Well said. Now, you have mentioned uh, becoming a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Where did you come from? I was born in Poland. My parents were both Holocaust survivors. Yes. So my mother was Russian, my father was Polish, and uh, it, it, I was born in Poland with other, three other siblings. And when we uh, came to, uh, when it, it, I was about six years old, 
the United Nations stepped in and tried to protect some of the few Jewish people that survived the Second War, and they were taken to Israel. We could go to Israel, only to Israel at that point. So we, we did. We went to Israel, and we were there for three years, three and a half years or so. And our rich Memphis relatives came to see if my father was a worker. Because if he was a good worker and he was earnest and a, you know, a good provider, that they would sign for six people to come to the United States. And that's what they did. Because if you sign for someone to come to the United States, you're responsible for them. They can never ask for welfare or food stamps or anything else. Interesting. So they could only really do this knowing that my father, but they took a huge risk because anything can happen. And, uh, you know, God forbid my father could have gotten hurt on the job or disabled or who knows what. But they sort of saw that we were uh, people that were very eager to succeed. So they signed for us and we came and honest to God, David, I saw the American dream come true in front of my eyes. My father came to the United States as a precision tool maker, and he died a millionaire. He came when he was 42 years old, and by the time he was maybe 70, he was already a millionaire. Yeah, it makes your heart warm, doesn't it? And I'm, I'm smiling from ear to ear. And your father, he was in the 40s when you came over. He was 42, my mother was 44, and they both luckily lived 86 years. But I saw, I saw the American dream come true right in front of my eyes. This is what, you know, this is what plays are written about, what movies are written about. Yes. I saw what can happen in this country. But you know, we have to remember that was a time in the 1960s when we were manufacturing, mm -hmm. you know, big time manufacturing in America. So a person like him would have been very highly prized as a, you know, making precision tool. But still in all, with all of our ups and downs in this country, there's no country better. There you go. There's no country better because the possibilities here are endless. The possibilities for change, the possibilities for improvement, the possibilities for education, everything. Couldn't have said it better myself, Bela. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so your family came to Memphis. There you got your education at the university. And now you're here in Florida. Yes, I'm here in Florida uh, 14 years and I've never felt more right in my, my mind, body, and soul than in Sarasota. Well, I know Nanette Christ, one of the co-hosts of this show, would also agree with you. Sarasota is a beautiful place. Yeah, the culture there and everything that's available. And the quality of people that would show up at my lectures are the, the people I would be friends with. So all of my friends are interested in everything. Well, again, I would agree with you, Bela. If you're a lover of art, it tends to transcend all of those categories of those lines and dimensions of life, as you so wonderfully point out in your lectures. Yes, absolutely. Because art, what is art? It's a history of the world. So how much better can it be than that? Right? <laughs> yes. So, Bela, you've been doing this for a while, 14 years, I think you said. How did this all come about? Did this extend from your education? Uh, initially, it was working through Elder Hostel, which is now Rhodes Scholar, mm -hmm. when they requested certain topics. Okay. 
Okay. So since they requested certain topics and there were certain exhibitions taking place in Sarasota at the Ringling, and one of the first, very first exhibitions that they had in which I could have done something with Elder Hostel was Ansel Adams' photography exhibit. Okay. So I developed a lecture around Ansel Adams so that I could teach various people about it, and they would go and see the exhibition and appreciate it all the more. <laughs> well, so and then say next, uh, the next time I spoke to them, they said we could really use a nice lecture on Audubon, John James Audubon, and so part of it came from this mission that they had to do various things, either taking people to the new Audubon Society or to take them to the celery fields, or because Florida has an extensive history with birds, because the birds, there are so many hundreds of thousands of birds that fly through Florida because of our waterways. The first bird sanctuary was indeed in Florida. Oh, that's wonderful. I, I didn't realize that. That was founded by Teddy Roosevelt. So since we have these <coughs> association with Sarasota history, et cetera, they wanted to go to the Ringling Museum, take people, Elder Hostelsey. So I developed a lecture around the Ringling collection. So it started to develop in this way. And then I noticed that everything was interconnected. Interconnected, how do you mean? I didn't know that Ansel Adams could only have made his kind of photography if a certain kind of camera had been invented. The correlation between them, okay. Oh, yes. So then one, thing's, one thing leads to another. Never mind that he developed his own system and he became world famous for that and, you know, he did extraordinary work. But it, you just begin to see that there is such a plethora of subjects to choose from that sometimes it's difficult to decide what it is that you're going to do. But so I began to study the photography world, and then so I had to do a lecture on portrait photography and sure. photojournalism and uh, or fashion photography. All of those things are incredibly interesting. So then you have to do a lecture on if the fashion industry was dependent on the work of the French Impressionist at a certain point, because the art world has already thought out shading and all kinds of things and composition. So photographers go to the paintings to make their compositions. Well, my goodness, then you have to talk about the French Impressionists. And if you talk about the French Impressionists, you have to develop a whole lecture series on every individual Impressionist because every individual one had his own point of view and his own talent and his own personality. You can see I get very excited. And then you, get, then you become interested in all the art movements and why one kind of took over after the other and what they were trying to do. And how is it that they were just, just trying to, uh, to show you the changes taking place in the world? So then you, of course, you have to do lectures. Uh, Marcel Duchamp, for example, did New Descending a Staircase. Yes. Or he did various kind of superimposed works that look like uh, negatives of, of the camera that, you know, that were manipulations of camera and all this. And then you realize, oh, that this was influenced, Frank Gehry was influenced by Marcel Duchamp. Uh, the architect. Oh, yes. Well, Frank Gehry's, then you must know about architecture. <laughs> and if you have to know about architecture, you've got to know about Frank Lloyd Wright, mm, yeah. right? And yeah. you've got to know about Louis Sullivan and Dankmar Adler. Mm -hmm. And you've got to know about the 1893 Rural Columbian Exposition because they were all involved in this. And this is where Frank Lloyd Wright got his idea for the Japanese-style home. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yes. So now one thing leads to another. 
One thing leads to another. And so when I say in my bio that I do college-level courses that talk about literature and art and sculpture and operatic influences and symphonic influences and all, I am doing that because I, every month, very often go to the same place and sometimes twice a month. So therefore, I have to have new subject matter. So it's sort of mushroomed like that. But it's made my life so big. Yeah, it isn't wonderful uh, what art can do for someone's life. And we all get the benefit from that. So, Bela, let's cover a little bit about your lecture circuit. Where would people might have benefited from uh, seeing your lecture, or where might they find you coming circuit, besides the VAC? I was teaching for Elder Hostel, and I was teaching for uh, various universities that sort of spring up during season in Sarasota during the, the winter time. One of them was called Pairian Spring, which has now been sold to the Ringling College. And um, then I taught at art centers, and I taught in a lot of, and still do, in a lot of private places like Sarasota Bay Club or Plymouth Harbor, various places. I used to teach five days a week now, just maybe three. Let's just cover your teaching. How'd that happen? Uh, one of the professors from the Ringling College came and listened to me speak one day, and he said, you've got to come and teach our students. Ah, uh, wonderful. You've got to come and teach our students because you make the material so exciting yes. that they they that they will perk up because teaching humanities to young students and teaching them about the Greek and Roman world and medieval world and all, this has no connection to them whatsoever but you always bring all of those ancient topics way forward. Okay, so I'm curious any particular lecture was listening to a lecture that I was doing on the Lincoln Memorial. Okay. And uh, Daniel Chester French. So I was making this very important point that in the Greek world, there was a famous sculptor, the first major famous sculptor whose name was Phidias, created a, a few paradigms for the sculpture world that have always been followed. So that, for example, one of them is called contraposto. The stance that is called contraposto is like the Michelangelo's David where all the weight is on one leg, and then the other leg kind of moves uh, forward in an S shape, so it's relaxed. So one side of the body is formal, and one is relaxed. And the reason for that? Because Phidias it was trying to, to include in the sculpture philosophy of the Greek world. So what was the philosophy of the Greek world? That everyone must always be firm in their opinion, but they must always be willing to be swayed. They must always be willing to open themselves up to conversation about their point. Ergo, the contraposto stance. Now, let's say in the case of in the statue of Zeus, which Phidias also carved, is let's say you do not have a leg to stand on. How do you convey your philosophy then? Well, you can see it in the Lincoln Memorial, which is exactly 42 feet tall, just like Zeus that Phidias made. Interesting. Okay, so one of these references that, that is timeless that Phidias created, uh, the sculptors had filed, uh, is in the Lincoln Memorial. Apparently the Greek philosophy. What is it? How is it symbolized? He shows you who he is because one hand is in a fist and the other hand is open. 
Okay, Bailey, I am looking at an image of the Lincoln Memorial right now. His left hand is fisted. Yeah. His right hand is opened, palm down, resting on the armrest. Yeah. Interesting. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Please continue. So when I brought everything forward in this way, this professor listened to me speaking about this and he said you can make all these subject matters come alive for these young kids who are only 18 years old first they don't know any history yet either they don't know much of anything but if you can make this come alive for them in this way because if they don't have those core courses which are 60 courses in humanities by the way that they have there 15 courses per semester 15 classes four courses if, if you fire them up in this way, they will understand what their mission in life is. They have to know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. It has to come from something very deep and wide because they're going to be the ones telling the stories. Wow. Wonderful. Bela. Yeah. So I was invited to teach there. And it was the high point in my life. Okay. So Bela, I have to ask. So when he approached you, yeah. asked you to come teach those students, yeah. how did it go for you the uh, first time you were there? What was it like with you as a student? Well, I got really great remarks. You know, they you have to evaluate the teacher. The first class, it was they're sort of not so sure about me, and they're not sure how this is going to apply to them. But when I started talking about how all of these ideas that come from the Greek world in particular reverberate in every, in every aspect of our lives and how much the Greek world loved excellence, how much they loved this refinement of, of the mind, body, and soul. When I started talking about that and they would put their pencil down and they would just listen it was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever experienced. It was the right choice. Yeah, I could see something really beautiful, really, that happened in my classes. Really beautiful. I gave them a level of depth that I thought was very important. And they would write evaluations like, Mrs. Miller makes me want to paint the whole town red. <laughs> I think the listeners can tell, just as I can, the energy and enthusiasm and love that you have for these subjects and, and for those students really, really came out. No doubt, it's the reason you excel at, at what you're doing. You're doing the right thing. Uh, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, so Bela, let's uh, move on because we are running out of time. So what's next for you? Well, I think that what, what we'll be doing next is some trips that can be coordinated with the lecture. Mm -hmm. So that, for example, if we do uh, Lewis Comfort Tiffany, which we might do, Lewis Comfort Tiffany or the Ringling Collection or the Chihuly Museum, which is in St. Pete, Chihuly Glass. Yes. Uh, just these various uh, subjects that are directly related to putting, you know, on the, on the back end of it, a trip so that people can go see it for themselves. There are lots of ways that the subject matter can be broadened because Frank Lloyd Wright was building Florida Southern or Methodist, the, the Florida Methodist, which is now Florida Southern College. He was building that in the 1940s. And the Sarasota School of Architecture started here as a result of the influence of Frank Lloyd Wright there in Lakeland. So I think this is what we're going to 
to do next time. And then maybe there'll be a few other ancillary subjects because everyone is always very interested in the French Impressionist, irrespective of who you talk about. Just because we know the French Impressionists uh, really are painting a beautiful life. The French Impressionists were living during the Belle Epoque era when there were no wars in the European world for, for more than 40 years. Yeah. So those art periods represent really beautiful life. Well, Monet tends to be one of my personal favorites. Yes, you can't <laughs> go wrong with Monet. Okay, Bela, right before we wrap up the show here, how about some contact info? Okay, I am updating my website, which looks pretty good already. Uh, it's BelaMillerPrograms.com. Or if they just want to look for me, it's just Bela, B-A-I-L-A, Miller in Venice. And my uh, webpage will come up. So they will see the variety of courses, and perhaps we will even have a little video in there. They can get a taste of me in action if they would like. But the, the important thing is that quite often most of my audience are people that are retired. And one of the reasons that I like the fact that I'm teaching people that have had a life, that have traveled, that have, or, or perhaps not, but are interested, I look at it as a gift for your old age. Because <laughs> if you can't get somewhere, if you can't go to a program, you can't do this, you can't do that, if you immerse yourself in the arts, your life will be entertainment par excellence. Yes, I think we'd all agree with you there, Bela, on that. That's well said. <laughs> so we're going to have to wrap up there, Bela. And we look forward to catching up with you again on your next series of lectures here at the VAC. And we'll get a chance to cover some more of your uh, subject matter. Absolutely. And thank you for taking the time coming on the show after your uh, lecture here to sit down and talk with us. Got to say, I love your series. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay, so there you go. Kat, what do you think, huh? What a fantastic show. What a fantastic woman. The way that she brings something that is past generations. Yeah, bringing uh, it forward as she says. Bringing it forward and, yeah. and making a connection. It is of art history, there but you more go. than that. Right. Keeping that continuum alive. Right. And I love that. Yeah, and her working with the students there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I love when she says, I'm helping them find out who they're going to be. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and what an incredible comeback from the history of the World War II with mm -hmm. their parents being survivors of the Holocaust and then coming to America. And you could tell just listening to the show and again right. when she was sitting here, she's genuine. Yes. She means what she says, loves the arts and loves the history mm -hmm. and being able to talk about it. And, and her passion just exudes. Yes. And it inflames the passion within me and I know within others. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't able to be here during the interview, but just listening to it. Right. Wow, I had to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incredible late. Everyone, we want to thank you for listening in to another episode of Partnership for the Arts, where we talk art, Yay. 60K plus following. And Kat, there's a lot of credit to you. So Thanks. Kat, you have a good day. You have a great day yourself, Dave. Yeah. And blessings, everyone. There you go. Now let's go get some coffee. This is Partnership for the Arts Talk Show. Thanks for joining us. As we explore the worlds of art. You can find this and other episodes on our Facebook page, Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show, or our newest website, pftatalkshow.org.
This show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. 